0: This is exciting. So today we have a special treat. Jake, one of our own, is going to come share the message today. So come on, Jake. And um, some of you have heard him share before. I have missed all the opportunities, so I'm excited. Today. Well, I oh, I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that. So um, Jake is going to be sharing the message. And so um, while he's while we get him set up, I think we have your mic stand over here that has been custom yeah, adjusted. You mic. just want to you hold the mic. Yeah, okay. that would be fine. Okay, so we're going to do...
1: Daniel's um, got the verses up there, do you?
0: Oh, go ahead. Daniel's got oh, yeah. it. So can we pray over you? you. And um, in the meantime, I just want to remind you too that in the back, our silo of provision is there if you guys want to put in your offering or whatever you feel led to put in there. Um, that's where it's at. And so we'll pray over offering and pray over Jake. So Jesus, we thank you that you are all and in all and through all. And so we commit to you every... Um, Thing that you have given to us we commit it back to you and ask that your provision would come through in ways that we don't expect you would surprise us with the ways that you are so good and faithful and our eyes would be open to be able to see what you have for us and so we commit it to you god and know that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift and so god we also thank you for the gift that um, jake is to our church body And we thank you, God, for the work you're doing in him and the outflow of that we get to benefit from in his word today. And so we ask, God, that you would fill him, that you would minister to him that his words would be your words and that there would be nothing more and nothing less. But you would equip him for this. We know you have. And so we just wait in expectancy for the the goodness that you're going to move through him. And we get to hear and experience. We thank you, God, for this. And we bless you in Jesus' name.
1: Thank you, Heidi. Uh, before we get started, I got just, uh, Daniel, I got just a little itty bitty surprise. I'd like, Ili- Alana? Am I saying that right? Would you come up here? And Alex, can you just come up here for a second? I, w- I want to share a quick little story here. I want you two to stand up here right by me. Come over here. The last time I had the privilege of being in front of this body was at the end of June last summer. And if you guys will remember, it was a hot Hot weekend, all the windows were open, and the fans were cranking it out and I think we hit one hundred and ten in some parts, maybe hotter, but also, our pastor was starting a long bout of illness that carried through July. so what i 'd like to do is just share a quick story that got me to think about you two about when about fifty years ago, when I was nine years old, my older brother. I'm the second oldest, and then my younger brother, Louie, and I came home from school. And those of you that don't know, I am an ex-dairy farmer. So when I came home, I came home to the house, I came home to the farm. And my dad was sitting at the kitchen table, and he was massively sick. He could barely keep his head up. He was so sick. And I remember coming off the school bus... And my mom was desperately trying to find some farmer that could step in and maybe milk our 85 to 90 cows. Because, biologically speaking, dairying does not stop no matter what's going on. And my dad, no way in heck, was going to be able to get the job done. So, fortunately for us, we always shadowed my parents on the farm. We knew the rudiments of what to do. And my older brother, Gerald, was a freaking genius, He remembered everything. We ran the farm that afternoon. We ran it. My dad went straight upstairs, and my older brother, my younger brother, and myself with my mom, we did everything. We milked those cows. We fed those calves. We did everything. I grew up in a tough dairy environment. I had to grow up fast. There could be no weak link in our family. And what I was thinking about when you were ill and when I covered for you that one Sunday, you and you you were here you were making sure my verses got up there and quite honestly you guys I forgot what I said on that time in June hope it was okay but anyway I remember you two covering for your father and that is what family is all about you two you leading the worship you making sure the words were up there and so that I didn't look like a complete idiot I want to thank you Alex And I want you guys to take a look. These are preacher's kids. They're the first family of this church. And I'm proud of them. And I'm glad to know them. And I want to thank you guys because I know in the ensuing weeks you kept it going. Right? So thank you. Good job. Both of you. Way to to be the light. Okay? Alright. So, if anything, you guys got that out of me today. And I'm glad. We are going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. Jim, if you'll throw that up there for us. Starting at verse 10. Armor of God. There we go. So what we're going to do today, you guys, I've got some time. I want to honor your time because quite honestly, I'm very hungry and I can't wait to eat later. So that'll be my motivation. But we're going to rock and roll for a while. The armor of God. Before we get into the reading of the armor of God, this, this, this book was written by the Apostle Paul. Heidi just talked about the Apostle Paul. And if those of you will remember last month, Heidi read something out of Ephesians. And she correctly stated that this book is loaded. This book, Ephesians, written in the town of Ephesus, in the now country of Turkey. And Turkey is near the Aegean Sea. And there's a river that flows through it. And so Ephesians, the town of Ephesus, was a real player. In the beginning of the New Testament and in part of Paul's huge journey. And before we go even a little further in that, we know that the entire Bible is geared towards our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So you have two very big players in the New Testament, certainly our Savior Jesus Christ, which Paul was all about. But Jesus and Paul had kind of a different way of bringing things out. If we look at the Gospels, Jesus was about parables. He would do stories and have parables. We could talk about the sower and the seed. We could talk about the prodigal son, which is probably one of the most famous ones. If uh, you got 99 sheep or 100 sheep and one of them has gone, we're going to stop, lock those 99 up, and go get the other one. And it wasn't because the people of, of Israel couldn't understand Jesus that they weren't like mentally sharp or anything. It's just that Jesus knew how to bring it to people so they could understand it. So that was how the Lord would bring His message through in His saving grace, and of course, accomplish everything fulfilled by Old Testament Scripture. Paul, being the Pharisee of Pharisees, he was a little different in my mind, in my mind, on how to describe things. He used metaphors. And so for example, if you look in, for example, Philippians, Paul uses the track metaphor of "I press on." I press on for the goal, thinking about when you guys, uh, any of you guys, were in track or PE. uh, The first lap of running the laps is okay. The second lap, all right. Depending on what kind of shape you are, wow. Wait till you get to the fourth lap. Fourth lap is tough. That's pressing on. If you've ever been involved in sports or even a job, the first couple of hours, but oh man, I got to press on. Paul was an observer. He observed and then he would write it in a way that people could say, oh, I can relate to that. And a matter of fact, if you bump up into 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it's not on here. Paul again uses a sports metaphor. This time he's saying, as Christians, we're not punching in the air like a boxer without a target. He uses boxing of all things. And then also he continues on with that track metaphor of running, but we're not running in circles. We're not wasting our time. Okay? We're not just shadow boxing, punching in the air, and this is going to be one of the reasons why. I'm going to read this to you, we're going to talk about this, and then we're going to bounce around the Bible a little bit today. We're going to take a little journey here and there, and then we're going to finish up. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, any wrestlers out here, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's evil everywhere, you guys. It is everywhere. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on, here we go. This is the uniform. And by the way, this is the metaphor. When Paul was writing this, he was basically under house arrest. He was able to see visitors. He was able to do some ministry. But basically, he was already in trouble. Trouble with the world, not with God. And he was under house arrest. So he got to stand next to a uh, probably a Roman soldier quite a bit. He's going, hey, another metaphor I can write about. Yeah, well, let's let's put this into Christian terms. Let's put this into... Something we can sink our teeth into terms. This is what we got to be about. So here we go. Fasten on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is your character. Are you a righteous person? Are you? Yeah, rhetorically, I throw that out to you guys. Can you look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm striving to be righteous? Okay? Good question. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Gospel of peace. Anxiety rules, people. I suffer from anxiety. I need the gospel of peace every day, sometimes four or five times a day. My world has turned in a different way. In this past two years, it brought me and Tracy and Lydia here. But I tell you what, you can't put a price tag on that gospel of peace, you guys. Huh? Huh? What do you think? In all circumstances, here we go. Take up the shield of faith. I like this. You know what they would do? The Roman soldiers would do with those shields. They were heavy leather, heavy, heavy leather shields, and they would soak them with water. And the reason why they would soak them with water is if they ever got into a battle and people were firing lit arrows, that wet shield would help douse the flames. It's just to raise the odds of survival, people. You need all the help you can get when you're in war. Don't you? with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I want you guys to recognize something here, and we're going to talk about this in in another text Person, Our war is not physical. I mean, it is in certain ways if you're fighting a disease or you've got certain physical things going on, but when we're talking about the real brass tacks, this isn't any different back then as it is now. Our war is against an unseen evil Horrible, I want to wreck your life, guy called Satan. And the Apostle Paul has had his own experiences with them, which is a whole different story for other than today. But he knew and knows what's going on. So the evil one is mentioned. Take on the helmet of salvation. Uh, I've ridden a motorcycle in my dairy days without a helmet, and that was not a smart move. Fortunately, it didn't do permanent damage, but if there's any problem with what I'm saying to you, the couple of wrecks that I have, I'll blame it on not having a helmet, and we can talk about it later. The helmet is for protection. It protects your head, your vital head, everything. Here, the helmet. Helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You got to know what you believe, you guys. Do you guys know what you believe? If you come out on the street and somebody says, what's it? hey, you're a Christian, what is that? Um, well, it's a good question. Sort of truth. You know the truth. We know the truth. You know, And I know everybody likes to say, hey, we suffer through what's going on in our Christian life, but we open up the end of the book and, hey, we win. You know what? I mean, that, that's nice. Okay? That's great. It's, it looks good on a T-shirt. But uh, meanwhile, we still have to get through the day. God knows everything. God knows everything. But we need that sword of truth to get us through the day. We're not going to make it. Just not. Sword of truth. By the way, Daniel, I think you could do it like 10 months of sermons on just the sword starting in Genesis. There is sword mentioned metaphorically and physically all the way through the Old Testament, New Testament. And for those of us who enjoy the martial arts, we like our swords don't we pray at all times in the spirit and with prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with pres- with perseverance making supplication for all the saints so guys pretty much paul is saying you got to have your act together and here's how you can do it with these things you are a christian you have accepted the lord jesus christ in your heart now you got to be a warrior for him are you tired of being pushed around as a christian get a little sick of it it's okay to have some righteous indignation. Meekness is not weakness. Paul was not a weak person. James, sir, if you will bring on the next text in First Samuel. Oh, that's right. He's doing it. He did it last time for me. What are you doing up there then? <laughs> All right, here we go. In my quest to have fun with armor, I started thinking about armor a lot, you guys. I've been thinking about it, and I thought, wow, armor, Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 4, verse 7, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. There's been a lot of talk about just how big this guy was. By some measurements, they're saying nine feet. Okay? Nine feet. That's three feet taller than me. Okay? Okay? big. Super Bowl today, if Goliath had been around today, he'd probably have one of those billion-dollar contracts, and he would be destroying everybody in his sight. He had a, here we go. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and he had one of his boys carry his stuff for him because there was so much. This was the man. Go ahead. Whoops. Nope. 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 Oh, okay. Go back to go back to go back to Samuel. That's fine. That's fine. That's physical armor. There we go. All right, if you follow this along, and this story is very long. It's a huge chapter. David comes into the scene, and David is delivering food to his brothers. David has already been anointed king of Israel, okay? It's just he's got to go through a huge process to get there. David is watching this guy, Goliath, do his fee-fi-fo-fum thing. I smell the blood of, well, in this case, a Hebrew. And for 40 days in a row, you had the Philistines on one side of the valley, or the mountain, if you will, or the hill, and there's the valley. And then on this side, you had the Israelites. And it is basically, uh, you know, Red Rover, Red Rover. I mean, just nothing's happening here. The leader of the Israelites, King Saul, is stuck back in his castle doing nothing but fretting. David comes along, and David sees this giant. And what happens is Goliath comes out twice a day, morning and evening, challenging and blaspheming the Israelites and the God of Jehovah, Yahweh. All right? Let's make that clear. There is only one God, Yahweh. There's a whole bunch of Philistine gods. And this is how it worked. Goliath would say, bring your champion to me. We'll do a one-on-one. Whoever wins, we're your slaves. Okay? Now, the reasoning behind that, you would say, well, hey, one guy falls down. I'm not going to go subservient myself to the other side. I'm going to either fight or I'm going to run. The gods of the Philistines, the Philistines said that if they lost, it was obviously their God's will. And you want to know something? This is really sad. But the Philistines were believing more in their gods than the Israelites were believing in theirs. So in other words, if Goliath went down for whatever reason, their gods determined it, we're your slaves. The Israelite gods, or I should say the Israelites, had a problem with big people. If you will look in Numbers 13, verse 31 when Moses was going to send out the 12 spies to check out the promised land. You look up that verse, and the first thing that you see in there is the fear of the 10 of the 12 because that land was full of big people. We're afraid of big people. <laughs> this is a narrative that they just didn't do a very good job of, you guys. So there you go. David comes along. We're all familiar with this story. David goes and challenges Goliath. But... Before David and Goliath meet, David goes to Saul because Saul wants to meet this guy that is willing to challenge Goliath. And in Saul's presence David makes his case about why he's going to be able to take on Goliath. David as a shepherd, you're all familiar with the story. He killed a lion, he killed a bear, but what David has that Saul had was that internal spiritual armor of God inside of him. And Saul, unfortunately for him, blew it in his early kingly rule by being more concerned about what men and his fellow kingdom people thought of him rather than obeying God through the prophet Samuel. He blew it at least twice. And it cost the children of Israel a lot, because now here they are. So what does Saul do? He says, hey, David, I want, you know what? If you're going to go out, you're not going to, your family's not going to have to pay taxes. Uh, there's my daughter. She'll be yours. Why did you make it? And so forth. And here, here, here is my armor, okay? There we have uh, Goliath's armor. If you were to read this whole text, you guys, follow it through, well, guess what? King Saul has armor, too, probably custom-built for him, And by the way, Saul, if you read back before this, way back when he was uh, crowned king, he was a big guy, is a big guy. He was bigger than David. By some estimates, Saul was well over six feet tall, where David was probably only 5'10". So I just see David with Saul's armor on him, and it makes me think of the poor tin man in the Wizard of Oz before he got oil. I mean, he's just got this armor on him. And David's like, oh, this is not going to work because the message is lost on Saul. It's not about the armor. Not about the armor. It's not about Goliath's armor. It's not about King Saul's armor. And by the way, FYI, if Saul's armor was so good, where was Saul? Why wasn't he out there with his armor? And now he's going to give his armor to somebody that's maybe three quarters his size, and that's going to do it? Do you see where we as as short-sighted thinking and even godly people, we miss the message? David did not miss the message. David knew exactly what he had to do. David was prepared to die. The odds were massively against him, but David had the spiritual armor of God well before the Apostle Paul wrote it. I want that. That's what I'm after, you guys. I want that. Anyway, as the story goes, David said, look, you know what? I know what i got to do. Here's why and here's how. And then, of course, the story goes on. David goes to the brook, finds the five smooth stones with the sling. And by some accounts, his ability to not only first clarify who he is through God and also tell Goliath who he is, not by God, we understand who this battle is for wasn't for David wasn't for, for Goliath he said the battle is the lords hecker high water the battle is the lords and david took that sling and swung it and slung it and by some accounts they think it was probably as fast as a baseball pitch somewhere between 90 and 100 miles per hour and it, it got underneath that very expensive uh, bronze helmet and then of course after goliath fell down David took that probably very big sword. So David was probably pretty strong anyway because I can only imagine what that sword looked like. Chopped his head off and made it a trophy. Where are we? Do we have Davids in here? Do we have Apostle Pauls in here? Alex, go ahead and bump on over to Daniel. This is a fun one. Let's bump over here. There we go. We'll just let that sit for a minute. You ever get tired of being pushed around as a Christian? It's been a rough couple of years in this country. In our personal lives. And then it kind of just blows out into where are we in all of this? And I'm not trying, I don't want to get all political or anything like that. But it has been a rough couple of years and we want out of it. And who, have, who among us? have it in us to bloom where we are bravely and proclaim the gospel. And not because we're so great, because we're not. But um, just leave that there. But getting back um, to King Saul, there's something that we need to understand about the word sin and the word disobedience. We have been duped into thinking that we can do whatever we want as long as we're not hurting anybody. Okay, How many times do we hear that? Uh, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just doing my own thing and blah, blah, blah. If you follow through Samuel, well past Goliath, start going through King Saul and David as they parallel each other in different ways, shape, and form. It's not a pretty, uh, pretty story, but you know what? Sin overpromises and massively destroys You just give it time. And the perfect example in my mind is, I was thinking about this this morning, you guys. Jonathan. David's best friend, as the story goes, was the son of King Saul. And you want to know something? Jonathan was a decent, godly guy. He would have been a good king. But that line got chopped because his dad screwed up and God said, you know what? We're going to start over. This guy messed up. His son's a great guy. Good friend of David's. But S- Jonathan, in a very, very, very tough way, became what I consider collateral damage for his, his dad's shortcomings. There's a price to pay. There's a price to pay when you think nobody's looking and uh, nobody's going to catch me doing this. We all need to take a good inward look and see what we're doing with our time with our actions, with our talks, with our deeds. And this is not uh, Jake coming down here to, wow. this is a reality check that we as Christians need to have. Sin has consequences whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not. And Saul chose a bad path, and a lot of people died because of him. A lot of people suffered because of that. And we need to be aware of what we do. Not to scare us, but out of gratitude, for what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We don't need to do that. And I had my Jesus moment some 40 years ago. I was well into the Christian life. There was no excuse for me. My parents were, oh my gosh, they were so good. I did not deserve them. Praying for my brothers and I. (laughs) Another time. Sin and bad decisions. Deceitful, in-your-face comments from Satan or those that are around him telling you it's okay you got the right to do that. Turn around, man. Turn around while you can. Get out of it. Okay? Daniel, this is a great story because, again, we're talking about spiritual warfare, people. And even the angels have to deal with it. And this story just jumped out at me. Uh, I think I was talking to you about it, Daniel. Uh, I'm going to read this quickly. We're going to talk about it briefly, and then we're going to finish up. Because I'm going to make sure we get in and down there. And I'll be at the end of the line, though. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of a a burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone, saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them. They took off. They were scared out of their minds, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. And no strength was left in me, and my radiant appearance was fearfully charged, and re- I retain no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words, and then you guys can kind of read that. i want to keep going. Uh, this is an angel, and uh, does it continue on there, um, Alex? Did I give you the rest of that? Yeah, let's just, let's. oh, there we go. So here, the angel is telling Daniel, I'm not going to read it, but you guys can look it up. He's telling Daniel, he says, hey, you've been fasting for 20-some days, I want you to know, I tried to get out and see you, but I was held up uh, by the uh, evil forces, evil angels, evil devils or whatever, even the angels, you guys. And guess what? Michael, the archangel, sword-bearing angel, had to give me a hand. Now, from what I read from the aforementioned text, the angel still looked great, still had a great voice, and was bringing people to their knees. But this is what's going on that we don't see this. Okay? This is true. At least in my mind, it is. And if the angels, the chief lieutenants of God have to deal with it, we better know how to deal with it too. We got to deal with it too, people. And we got to know what we're doing. And so this this story is amazing. Daniel was fasting and of course we all know about Daniel and the lion's den and all of those things. And You know, we live in a time right now with computer-generated... I mean, my phone does things that I don't even know what it does. We have huge screens. We have huge... uh, All kinds of multimedia stuff. We can fly in airplanes. We've gone to the moon. In other words, it takes a lot to blow us away. You know, we've been kind of spoiled with all of the amazing technology we have. But I'm going to tell you guys right now, if that angel was to come at me (laughs) and come visit me, I'm like, uh... (laughs) what do you want (laughs) if I could say it it's amazing Daniel of course did amazing things for the Lord in the Old Testament but there we are there we are you guys Kings armor man-made armor no I want the armor that the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 so you can keep that up Um, I want to tell you a quick story to kind of just bring this all together and make it a little bit easier In my, uh, about the same time that I told you about my parents and my dad being sick and so forth. And dad was sick for just one day. The next morning, my dad's a warrior. He was up and at it. Praise God. That was the sickest I ever saw him for 12 hours. And he just got better. And I'll never forget that. But at the same time, I was crazy about basketball. I had a red barn and all I did, if I wasn't working, rubber boots on, I was playing basketball. And I would, whether it was pro basketball, college, high school, whatever, um, I followed it. I eat, breathed, and sleep, uh, slept it. And there's one particular gentleman that I want to bring your attention to, and his name was John Wooden. John Wooden was coach of the UCLA Bruins in 1948 through 1975. He was known as the Wizard of Westwood. His UCLA Bruins won, and they won big. And John Wooden didn't look like a basketball player at all. He looked more like an older computer nerd. If you were to put him up on um, on Google, you'd see this guy that you, really you're the you're the coach of one of the greatest basketball dynasty eras ever. To give you an example of that, he had an 88 game winning streak. He had three years where his team was undefeated. He won ten NCAA championships, seven in a row of those ten. It is. You do, and then he got three later as he retired. John Wooden was born in June of 1910, and he died in October of 2010. He lived 99 and a half years. And I believe from his humble Indiana roots, he was a believer. And so the question is, how do you get this team to play so well, not just two years in a row, not just three years in a row, but for all of the four things I mentioned to you guys. And he had some very simple things that he did. And I could talk about this guy all day, but I'm going to give you the one that really stuck out to me. Okay? Before the team, his 12 players that were going to represent the UCLA Bruins were going to hit the Pauley Pavilion hardwood floor for their first practices. He would sit down in the locker room with them, with all 12 of them looking at him, sitting on a bench, something like this. He would put out his two cotton athletic socks and say, this is how we put on socks, you guys. You guys, before we go anywhere near the floor, are going to learn how to put on socks. Now that just sounds ridiculous, don't it? Or does it? You think about it. I thought about socks a lot after reading that story because I know that when I would put my socks on crooked, whether I was on the dairy or in Converse tennis shoes, that if I had a crease in my socks, I'd get a blister. If I had the sock put on the wrong spot and I made a sudden stop, I could get a hangnail and they hurt. Well, everybody that's in sports knows that. You're no good unless it starts right down here on your feet. Everything starts here. And John wouldn't recognize that. That was one of many amazing things that that guy taught and he wrote books and he's revered as one of the greatest coaches at any level anytime anywhere and that's why his team's won. are we putting on our uh, spiritual athletic socks on right every day guys forget about the armor i mean don't but let's just let's just dial it down when you get up in the morning are you thinking about putting on your socks right are you thinking about how you can work for the lord And you gotta start from the ground up. You gotta get your act together. You gotta put your sock on right. You don't want that blister. John Wynn knew that if if you lose a half a second speed, that layup's made. Or that defensive move is stopped. So you gotta put your socks on right. We gotta put our socks on right. And I'm really moved in that category right now, you guys. I'm thinking about the basics. The simple gospel basics. And so with that, um, in the book of Joshua, I don't know if I put Joshua down. Did I do that? Oh, yeah, beautiful. Joshua took over for Moses. And as he was winding down as the leader, judge of Israel and general, it was Joshua who got the children of Israel into the promised land here. And it was time for him to move on. And the judges, the book of Judges would take over after this. But look at this. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, okay? I mean, if it's bad, if you don't want to serve him, okay. To serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house We're going to serve the Lord There's a lot of idols around here people We are in a pluralistic society We co-mingle with people That are new agers Or atheists Or agnostics Or This is Oregon man <laughs> Do I need to say more? What do you going to do with it? Are you going to say You know what Lord It's too difficult To live here in Oregon To serve you you're, you're it's too hard okay all right that's that you can do that but as for me in my house i'm on god's team and i will fall i will sin i will have to rearrange my socks sharpen my spear whatever but by golly end of the day that's
0: where i'm at Thank
1: you.